Welcome to Worms Are a Myth, an outdoorsy <laughs> podcast brought to you by Whale Shark Adventure Co. I am Christian. And I am Esteban Julio Ricardo Montoya de la Rosa Ramirez. Wow. Nice to have you on the show, Esteban <laughs> Julio Ricardo. I cannot remember any of that. <laughs> no, it's Carrie. Oh, oh, good. I, I bamboozled oh, you. <laughs> it's spooky season, it's everybody. It's spooky season. Sorry for missing last week. We had some... Uh, elaborate family halloween parties very elaborate festivities <laughs> for halloween here um so but we're sorry for missing it yeah. we're back uh we with are. spooky tea mugs we do we both spooky have spooky fall mugs chai spice tea mm-hmm. <laughs> as you do it's uh it's very festive everything's festive today um we're gonna be looking at some common myths and misconceptions about hiking backpacking outdoors at large Uh, yeah like gear and just different things yeah some stuff that we work we have been working in the industry have heard uh or come across from time to time pretty often actually like honestly if (laughs) not on a day-to-day basis like day-to-day multiple (laughs) times a day which just doesn't mean that like you know people are ignorant about these kinds of things it's just it's nothing against these people no yeah we're not trying to make ourselves seem like we're better than anyone we just you know we we find it kind of funny yeah because it's just the same questions day in and day out and some people get defensive about these things right and that's when you're like yeah okay you can just (laughs) believe what you want to believe um so we're here to once and for all tell you the way that things are (laughs) no it's just these are the things that we hear and why you know, as people who are trained to talk about this kind of stuff know that it's incorrect or it's just incorrect. I don't know. I don't yeah. Know so word. hopefully after listening to this, you can confidently walk into your uh, local outfitter and be like, yo, look like a champ, not a chump, <laughs> not a, a champ, not a chump. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to just dive into this? Yeah. So first on the list, um, and, and. I think appropriate that we're starting here because it's, in my opinion, super important. That's hiking boots slash shoes. Um, it's the foundation. It is the foundation. It's your contact with the earth. So the misconception is that you have to wear thick, heavy, mid-height hiking boots when you're backpacking. Think the Oslo TPS 520s. If you don't know what that is. Like really, really big. Yeah. Like, or um, I think the Danner has one that's very yeah. comparable to that. It's like the mountain like. Honestly, all these. Or something. Yeah. All the big brands like have their like classic like big hunking mm-hmm. heavy leather hiking boot. Um, it's not true. You don't have to do that. There's a probably a time and a place for those. There is. Um, yeah. It. it scientifically speaking yes they have usually the big ones have full shanks in them shank is a bit of plastic goes in the midsole or metal or metal yeah if it's old-fashioned yeah sure um that keeps your arches from collapsing and also it's like a rock plate to Mm -hmm. stop you know things rocks poking you from the bottom of the ground um especially under really 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 heavy loads um yeah, I mean there was there is and they usually have like a, a really a strong like polyurethane midsole that's like not gonna give it all and not gonna compress it all. Yeah, and that's um, super important for any footwear choice that you choose that it's supportive under all that weight over distance, right. which is where they're trying to go. But you don't, in my mind, always need a gigantic. And I think that the shoes themselves have progressed so much, mm-hmm. even in the last couple of years that. A lot of people are leaning more towards even like on major through hikes, run like just going and trail runners, yep, and different things like that. Just because the technology has gotten so much better in lightweight shoes like that, yeah, and that just wasn't the case. Like even in trail runners, you see something like the Solomon um, XA Pro, yeah, the XA Pro, which is a really nice light hiker, but it was originally marketed as a trail runner, but. Mm -hmm. To today's standards, it's really, really heavy. And stiff for a trail runner. And stiff for a trail runner. It doesn't give as much. At least for the trail running shoe that I like. Yeah, and I think most people have kind of leaned that way. So that one's kind of faded out and is now just a light. It's still an excellent light hiker, but it's just no longer a trail runner. But because of all of these new Mm -hmm. technologies coming out. Yeah, the Brooks Cascadia, um, the 12 and 13 specifically, last year, I think they were number one if not number one number two against the ultra lone peak uh the most popular through hiking shoe of choice mm-hmm. 
go to the store and hold that thing in one hand and a Oslo TPS 520 in the other. Just have yourself a time. Yeah, it's just... (laughs) And the thing is, like, every pound you have on your feet adds, like, it's something crazy. Like, it's, like, the equivalent of having, like... It's uh, every every pound on your feet equals five pounds on your That's back. That's what it was. I couldn't remember what it was on your back. And but the like, only reason I know that is because I just talked to the MSR representative. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a pretty, like, common phrase amongst, like, just the industry right now, especially with this yeah. whole trend of lightweight shoes. Yeah. Um, but it's true. Like, you're have, you think about it. If you have to work to pick up your leg, that's just going to have to fatigue you more than you would otherwise and that can sound like a little silly like oh you have to work to pick up your foot come on like yeah it after a thousand miles i promise that's gonna make a Fuck difference after like <laughs> 20 or yeah, like 10 sure. if if you're full packing and you're not used yeah. to it and you're going out in big heavy boots like that you're gonna have yourself a time <laughs> <laughs> with all of that said if the heavy leather hiking boot is what works for you that's awesome. No, totally. It, it doesn't... <laughs> I think that, like, the fine line between really lightweight shoes that are coming out now and stuff like that is exactly... If that's what works for your foot, then do it. You yeah. know what I mean? 100%. It's still a totally viable, totally hardcore and respectable, well-made shoe. Yeah. You know, it's just people's preferences right now are tending towards lightweight. Yeah, and, and I mean, as a last note, specifically on that boot, that thing is going to outlive any shoe on the wall. <laughs> oh, no. I also have another. This isn't even about that shoe. This is just about mid-cut hiking boots in general. Okay. One, uh, something that I hear all of the time, like, and I mean all of the time, I work in footwear a lot, mm-hmm. from customers and just people coming in to look at shoes is, oh, I want to look at a mid, a mid-height hiker for the ankle support. Oh, yeah. And I that, even have this written down and I didn't even. That is just not true it's there's no scientific evidence to prove no. that you get additional ankle stability out of a mid-height hiking boot and the reason for that is all of the ankle support from your shoe is coming from the heel cup of the shoe mm-hmm. it's not coming from that additional upper it's in soft the... up there you can roll oh, yeah. those things you can you can roll your ankle in that kind you of break a boot. your ankle you a hundred percent honestly Probably more yeah <laughs> like i know for me I am way less like agile and like mobile in boots like that when I'm backpacking, especially on like crazy, like just bouldery type stuff, like in New England, like we have. Yeah. Um, Me too. Because I'm working to fight against my shoe to, you know, maneuver whatever way that I want to. And then, and I'm also just danger prone in general. So just I 100% of the time end up getting hurt. Not blaming the shoe in that scenario. It's mm-hmm. just that's just not my cup of tea. But that so your your ankle support from those shoes is coming from the heel cup. Yeah. If you have a supportive heel cup and a really good shank and midsole and you know whole nine, mm-hmm. it's you should yeah. be fine. And what I like to tell people on that exactly because I'll say that whole thing and then I follow that up with, with that said, if having a higher boot on your ankle makes you feel more comfortable and confident. That goes a long way. Oh, yeah. It's all, it's a lot of it is mental. You know what I mean? And I think, like, I was trying to convey with me and wanting low stuff is just that um, I feel more agile in those things. So that's really what I mean. Um, The, and just additionally, like, the purpose for having a mid height would just be as a gator to keep out Mm -hmm. sticks and rocks and water. And yeah, extends that waterproofing lineup a little bit. Mm -hmm. it's great and, for snow, stuff like yeah. that. Snakes out west, I'm told. That's a, that's huge, a huge Yep, that's one. a huge thing. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, but that's one of the biggest things yeah. I hear in footwear all the time. And inside those shoes that you pick are your socks. Woo. <laughs> so this is Christian's, for, like... This, I can this go is his soapbox moment. on this. <laughs> so, and again, nothing against anyone. This whole thing's going to be us repeating that. Um, a lot of first-time backpackers and hikers come in... Um, not even knowing that there is an alternative to a cotton sock. Mm-hmm. Um, cotton is almost always the worst thing you can possibly wear, um, especially on your feet in a hiking outdoor instance. Cotton loves your sweat and it loves moisture and it wants to hold that right against your skin. And it's also a very rough fiber and it's going to just 
be abrasive against you rubbing inside that boot all day long and it's just... especially when it's wet because it's yes. gonna cling and then it's gonna create more friction on your skin and you're gonna blister more and you're gonna get hot spots and yeah that all those will become blisters and so the alternative you ask is wool <gasps> wool it's so itchy and bad it's no <laughs> i know that's your grandma's sweater that you're talking about these wool socks are not like that. It's merino wool, and it's not 100%. It's a blend, so usually in the neighborhood of 50 to 70% merino wool, and the rest is going to be a nylon or acrylic. And the actual merino wool, like, that's a specific um, breed of sheep yeah. that's bred specifically to have really, really fine fibered wool. Mm -hmm. So they're bred specifically. Like, there's meat sheep, and there's, wool, like, wool sheep, and there yeah. are wool sheep that are specifically bred for the fineness of their fiber. These are some really fancy, nice New yeah. Zealand and Peru and South African and sheep. Colorado. Yeah, I, honestly, they're everywhere. Yeah. But I, there's some huge, and I don't have the number, I wish I did. There's some huge percentage of our merino wool, at least in the States, that is imported from New Zealand. Mm -hmm. um, so on like the scratchy, like thinner fiber thing that you were, well, not scratchy, thinner fiber uh, you were just referring to, that's often why people think wool is scratchy or itchy because the less quality wool is going to be thicker fibers of wool and they can't bend over on themselves as easily. So when they rub up against you, they're, they've got like some, some oomph to them and they hold on to your skin. Whereas this merino wool is really fine and every time you bend, it bends and you don't feel that like it folds over right. on itself. Um the other thing that you might be feeling is the lanolin. Lanolin is usually what people are referring to that they're allergic to when they say they have a wool allergy. And they might Which, not even realize lanolin it. in wool is actually something that's going to make your skin feel soft. Like the actual, like, if you're not allergic to it, like, lanolin is used in, like, hand lotions and everything. So mm -hmm. if you've ever met someone who raises sheep, like, their hands are 100% soft 100% of the time. <laughs> 100% soft. But I just want to, like, say, like, <laughs> lanolin is the oil in the, the wool that makes everything really soft. Yeah, and um, less than two... Unless you're allergic to it. Yeah, and less than 2% of people are actually allergic to lanolin. Now, this isn't, you know, oh, I don't believe in your allergy because... Yeah, no, I mean... Lord you... knows, <laughs> ladies and gents, I am... You're the one I am to, faced yeah. with that every single day. Yeah. Um, where people just think I'm a dumb white girl and am lying. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you're genuinely allergic, we're not saying that you're wrong. Or even if you're sensitive, you can be sensitive to something and not be mm -hmm. allergic to it. Yeah. Um, but there are some people who just think they're allergic because they wear non-merino wool, like you were saying, like the the coarser fibered wool, yeah. and so then it's like irritating, yeah, wool. and it's irritating to their skin, right? And which you know naturally it is. So then they haven't experienced merino wool, so it's yeah. just it's a different it's a different kind of breed. It's, it is a different breed, you yeah. know. It's just a different vibe, right? For sure. Um, well. Uh, you can wear in the, well, first, before I say that you, if you truly do have a wool allergy or you've just made up your mind and wool is not for you, that's, that's fine. What you're going to want then is going to be a synthetic. Yeah. Just a nice yeah. synthetic blend. They're going to not, it's just, it's the same mindset behind having a synthetic shirt rather than mm -hmm. a cotton shirt. It's going to wick moisture and it's going to thermoregulate a lot better. Something that I like wool for, um, for my run socks and my hiking socks is that it's also antimicrobial. So mm -hmm. because it's a natural material and it still has a lot of those oils and different things from the wool, um, they smell a lot less. They like do synthetics smell hold on to smell. Yeah. And wool isn't going to do that. So you could, it's, it's not going to hold on to smell. Um, it kind of eats away at those bacteria that make the smell. Not that they're going to be pristine, especially if you wash got them some, eventually. You got some really <laughs> nasty feet, like you know, something's going to give at some point. But they're a lot nicer than synthetic synthetics in that way because you can get more out of them without having to feel like you need to wash them every single day. And wool is going to last you longer. Um, it's a stronger fiber than cotton is, so you can literally hike the AT in two pairs of wool socks. Depending Granted, on how you are on the socks. That's yeah. true, yeah. And what's going on inside your shoe, yeah. what kind of footbed you have, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of variables. After that through hike you probably will need to send them back. But come on, like a 3,000-mile journey versus a cotton sock that's going to fall apart and like... And make your feet unhappy. Yeah. 
Um, it's just a lot stronger. But it is a, a what's called a four-season fiber, so you can absolutely wear wool in the summertime. I wear 100%. wool all year long. It's fantastic. It's just a really <laughs> good thermoregulating material. So, exactly. It's not going to just be warm. It's good at keeping you warm yeah. because it's good at thermoregulating, and I think that's where the misconception comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's good all year round. Once you go to Marina Wool Socks, you just honestly you'll know. Never, you just honestly, never go back. You just never go back. Try a darn tough, a smart wool, or a belega, and you'll but understand. But just 100% darn tough. I'm a belega guy. I do I mean, like I, me some darn, I, darn tough. I run Don't in, get me wrong. I run in features. <laughs> Yeah, there's loads yeah, of companies that are good. Those brands. are just the big three. Honestly, yeah. the big two are Smartwool and Darn Tough. Yeah. Um, find what works for you. Yeah. Also, they add some cushioning. but And they have different cushioning like levels. levels. Yeah. So there's ultralight, there's light elite, and then, and at least for Smartwool, these are the terms. Um, and then they all have, the brands like, are relatively similar. Yeah. They just have different names for it. Yeah. But um, that pretty much sums up socks. Um, hiking poles are for the Woo-hoo. weak and the old. You're so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I love this topic because I was one of those jerks who for the longest time was like, hiking poles? I'm strong. I don't need those. Like, I'm a real hiker. Yeah, I'm a real... <laughs> oh, that's the worst. And I, I the was first that time guy. I went backpacking with you, <laughs> yeah. I had poles, and, and you I were didn't... like, no, I don't need them, blah, blah, blah. And your knees were killing you. We later found out that that trail was dubbed the knee crusher. Yeah. So it was just <laughs> no bueno. And the reason that poles are really great um, is especially on, like, if you're doing any kind of elevation or, you know, like, incline, decline. Mm-hmm. Honestly, even on flat, people use them on flat all the time. Oh, yeah. It's just that it's an extra contact with your body to the ground. So if you're going on an incline, it puts puts a lot less stress on your knees and on, you your know, back. your hips, on your back. Um, same thing on the decline. It's going to put a lot less pressure on your joints, so it makes it a lot easier to go farther and be not miserable. Yeah, that's that's why I use my poles every second of the hike, but on the descent is when I find them especially useful for me because it's mm-hmm. those like when you're especially from like a steep um, down hike off like a mountain or something, the constant like pounding of your knees oh, it's into, into rocks, especially in New England, like that's what gets me. So it's killer. Having yeah. that extra something, I'll take it. And oh, yeah, <laughs> I've been fully converted. Oh, yeah. Never but, again. There's been so many times where like in my early hiking days when I would forget how much I loved poles. Just because it had been a long time, to be like, oh no, like this is short. I don't need this, and then I'd just be crying watching my friends with <laughs> trekking poles, being like, I hate yeah. my life. <laughs> and if you're just getting into it, if you don't, poles can be expensive. So, but I mean, there's some affordable ones, like stuff from like Mountain Smith. They're like thirty to fifty dollars. Like yeah. that's a really low end of the spectrum, but they're still going to be decent poles and right. have like decent handles that aren't going to blister you. Yeah, um, and that, that's actually a big a big thing is the blisters. And they have the little loops on the handles that you can kind of like rest your and leverage wrist on. Into. And I like them on decline. I like them on incline too because you can help pull yourself up. Yeah. And honestly, I think it's really important if you're full packing to have poles. Not everybody feels that way. Uh, yeah, I feel that way. <laughs> but it just helps. Like if you think about it, like you're not used to standing with that much weight, so you kind of lean forward. Having poles there helps you balance, helps you carry the weight more, distribute it yeah. again off of your joints Mm -hmm. so you are still getting a lot of support and comfort even like i think i will never full pack without poles i won't either but it's just not worth it it's not worth the tears it's not worth the tears no if you're still turned off to like the 30 to 50 dollar inexpensive quote inexpensive poles just you know find a stick yeah it's gonna maybe give you blisters on your hands but but it's so much better 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 than nothing yeah <laughs> the other day we were out and i didn't have poles because we just did like an impromptu hike and i ended up needing a, a stick yeah, you and it was great to, yeah it was great 100 <laughs> percent. yeah um and you can get some that are collapsible into mm-hmm. like a z shape which are really nice for lightweight they're stuff. lightweight um i find i feel like i don't want to put as much pressure on them i feel like they're gonna snap on those ones. They, they're they not They're gonna. way stronger than I yeah, think they are. They're but. not gonna, but I understand <laughs> that concept. Um, I like for sure. I like feeling it like really rigid, like mm. I can put all of my weight on it. Uh, they've always seemed really rigid when I've used them. 
Hmm. Yeah, maybe it's just a person to person thing. Yeah. I don't know. I've never like I mean I have both. full on yeah. tested the Z poles. Oh, so I I just used them on a backpacking trip not that yeah. long ago. And not that I also thought that, but I was just like, Oh, I'm not used to these. I have like the more traditional style of poles. And mm-hmm. so I was like, Oh, I don't know, like me. But they were excellent. They totally did their job. So Yeah. I had no complaints. Nice. And they're like I don't think these ones were carbon. Maybe they were. I don't remember. Yeah, between carbon and aluminum. Um, aluminum's really strong, too, though. Like, it's oh, not, like, no, not aluminum, strong. Yeah, and honestly, now stronger? aluminum's getting better and better. Yeah. The The big difference is that while carbon might be lighter, um, once it cracks, like, if you bang it really hard into something and it gets a, a hairline fracture or crack in it, they're pretty much done at that point. If you... If you um, load them under weight, there's a potential that they'll just, like, explode. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas aluminum, you can kind of bash on them all day long, and they can get dented up, and they'll still just, you know, work. Yeah. That's the big yeah thing with them. Um, but other than that, get yourself some poles. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're really, really nice. Gore-Tex equals waterproof. <laughs> which doesn't make any sense because Gore-Tex is a company that no, makes waterproof. No, that's not true. <laughs> Gore is a company that makes yeah, waterproof. Oh, that's, yes, the actual thank you technology the, yes. is called Gore-Tex. Yes, thank you for that correction. But Gore-Tex makes um, two... Gore makes... I keep saying that. It's really... I'm the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Gore makes two versions... Uh, makes several versions of two different technologies, waterproof and windproof. Um, their Gore Windstopper stuff is fantastic. It's not waterproof. Whereas Gore-Tex, and there's a lot of different ones, but like the whole waterproof aspect is also windproof. But, um, Gore, while it might be the best in the market, is not the only company that makes waterproofing. But I mean, I think it comes down to people don't understand the distinction between proprietary mm-hmm. and something like Gore-Tex because Gore-Tex is so breathable they don't sweat in it so they're like oh it's so much more waterproof because a lot of times people don't realize that they're sweating and that's what's making them wet yeah rain On, might not be coming through yeah, but it, you're still sweating. but you're sweating because it's not a breathable jacket and a lot of proprietary, like entry level, like proprietary mm-hmm. jackets are like that. Like they're just emergency shells. So you're talking your torrent shell, your venture jacket, yeah. your precip, your you know, like it, it, the list goes on. It's yeah. just your entry level ninety nine to one hundred twenty nine dollar rain jacket. Right, and then people um, like shoes or jackets are like, oh, the Gore Tex version is so much more expensive. Well, you got to think about it this way. Um, let's pick a random company, Patagonia. Let's say. They make so much stuff mm-hmm. that sometimes has waterproofing, sometimes doesn't. So if they do a proprietary waterproofing, they had to go. They had to find time in their already busy business schedule to do that. Whereas Gore only makes that product. Mm-hmm. They can spend all of their money and resources into doing. And you're that. getting two warranties in that like yeah, scenario yeah. also. Like if the if it's no longer waterproof, you can send it back either to the to the brand or to Gore-Tex. Uh, to Gore. I just did the same thing you did. <laughs> I'm um, so sorry. You did this to me. <laughs> um, so it it really, like, I think the biggest distinction is that, like, people get wet from sweating from proprietaries. And not all proprietaries are bad. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of stuff, especially nowadays, that's getting really close to being as good, quite honestly. Arguably, some yeah. people say as good. Even is pretty close. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's not that all proprietary, we're just talking about entry level proprietary, uh, waterproofing is just making them, is making people sweat. And then they're like, oh, this isn't waterproof. I'm soaked in it. And you realize after, you know, someone explains it to you that you're Mm -hmm. soaking it from the inside out. But, you know, that's why people are like, oh, Gore-Tex. Yeah. And there's nothing, there's nothing really wrong with going to a store and saying, I need something Gore-Tex, because they'll know that you just mean, I want something that's waterproof. Well, no, some people come in and just want Gore-Tex products. No, that's true. That's definitely true. Like, they true. just want something with Gore-Tex. But if someone, if if uh, a salesperson finds you a jacket that doesn't have Gore-Tex in it, it, it might be waterproof still. Yeah, um, and it just, might still be a good jacket. Yeah, it's just important to know the difference This there. is a fun little tidbit about Patagonia's waterproofing. Yeah. Just because I know it, and I'm going to 
explain you something. So a lot of different brands will have something that across the board is their waterproofing. So like Keen has Keen Dry. Um, there's a bunch of different ones. Dry Vent from the North Face and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Patagonia's is different from theirs. So all of... Um, you mean all- Patagonia uses a, a third no. party? No, no, no. Okay, go ahead. Um, So all those other brands, that's their one waterproofing name, and they use it on all of their products that they're using proprietary waterproofing on because they use the same technology in all of those things. So Dry Vent from the North Face, every time it's waterproof proprietary from North Face, it's the same formula Mm -hmm. from at least what the rep has told me. Patagonia, they call theirs H2NO. But that's actually a regulation, not the actual proprietary's name. Okay. So they use different proprietaries on their torrent shell and their stretch rain shadow, which are two vastly different jackets. Very different. One's very breathable, which would be the stretch rain shadow. One is just your entry-level emergency shell. Mm -hmm. Um, But both say H2NO on it. And so you're like, hmm, clearly different laminates, like clearly different waterproofing um, on there. And it's actually the H2NO is just they, like, beat the shit out of these jackets in these tests so if it beats like i think i forget how many cycles of wash or like how much like they like put dump water on these things mm-hmm. but if it makes it through those tests then it gets this the the sign of approval the h no so it's so sometimes it's different with stuff like that but i just thought that was an interesting tidbit about waterproofing that even within like their own proprietary yeah. it's not actually the same stuff oh and and actually on that climate shield which is a uh fantastic um solomon proprietary same thing they've got dozens of different climate mm-hmm. shield. actually same with their rubber compound the, and so, yeah exactly the it's the grip. same with gore-tex there's just there's like so many of them that they're just at least within solomon that they just stamp it climate shield um contra grip yeah even if it's slightly different, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it's still, they're rubber. Yeah. They're waterproofing. It's so the same thing with Patagonia is just that it's there. It has to go through these tests and then it can be approved H2 now. Yeah. Um, On that note, though. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. Um, unfortunately, at this point, there is still no such thing as a 100% breathable waterproof jacket. We're just not there yet. No. Hopefully soon. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, but to the, I mean to that effect, you don't want it to be one hundred percent breathable. Yeah, no, because some of them because need to keep warmth in. You need to keep warmth in. Yeah. You need to be windproof. You know, there's there's. I just see that a lot where someone yeah. is seeking a waterproof jacket for summer, let's say, mm-hmm. and they go out, and then a couple of days later, I see them again. And they're like, I, I sweated in this. I thought it was Gore-Tex. And I'm like, I, I know it, like. Yeah. At some point, it's gonna happen, and, and I'm. Mm-hmm. It's it, that's it. It's gonna happen. Yeah. But, um, and then real quick, footwear waterproofing versus outerwear waterproofing. Do you need the Gore-Tex or not? Within footwear, the shoe itself is gonna break down and give up long before the waterproofing ever blows. So it's honestly up to you if you want the stamp of approval Gore symbol on there. Or if you just buy a Solomon Climate Shield. Exactly. Shoe. And I think it depends on the brand that you're looking at. Um, so stuff like Solomon's Climate Shield is an excellent waterproofing. But if you're looking at something with a little bit of a lower degree of waterproofing, you just like happen to know their proprietary isn't as good as Climate Shield or Gore-Tex or whatever. Like, keep that in account, but it's not as big of a deal. Like... There's still good stuff. Yeah. And this is also really, really nerdy, in-depth stuff. And, like, no one's expecting everyone to know all of these little no. intricacies. All that we're trying to get at here is that it's a lot deeper than than you might think at yeah. first. And as, even in footwear, like, that's trending away from wanting waterproof shoes as well. Like, yeah. a lot of people... I'm that way. Because it's way more breathable. It'll mm-hmm. dry more quickly. Footwear takes forever to dry. Yeah. If it gets fully soaked. Even when it doesn't, like... Even though your foot's dry on the inside, the outside's wet, and then that takes forever to dry, and it's just a pain in the ass. Whereas if you have a non-waterproof shoe, as long as it's not cold out, and as long as it's not, like, snowing and, you know, that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. why, why? Yeah, you You know what I mean? Personally, I'm willing to have my foot be damp for a little bit so that down the road... On the trail. And the more you move, the quicker yeah, it dries. It will dry out really yeah. fast. And by morning, I'm going to be bone dry, happy as a clam. Yeah. Um, 
that you know and that's personal preference for some people you just want the peace of mind waterproofing always sure go for it yeah um and especially for first timers um getting your first pair of boots if they are boots because i think it makes a difference if it's shoes or boots Mm-hmm. If you're getting boots, if I, oh, I would never buy, I don't think I would ever buy a boot that wasn't waterproof. Yeah, unless you're going to the desert or something. Yeah, like you only hike in yeah. the desert, maybe. But if I was like gonna go hardcore enough to get a boot, I think I would get a waterproof boot for sure. Yeah, because um, then, then I could use it in the snow. Yeah, absolutely. Or if I'm doing a stream crossing or something. like like if I'm gonna go for a boot, I'm gonna get a waterproof. Get, boot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But within shoes, I, I made that distinction because like yeah. shoes, no, they're already lower. I'm guaranteeing your foot's gonna get wet, whether it's oh, yeah, waterproof or not. Oh yeah, you're gonna top not. over. You're gonna top over for sure. <laughs> and if it like even if all you're shoes are not through... waterproof in one very important spot, <laughs> yeah, that's where your hole. foot goes in the hole in it. <laughs> um, if your socks are higher up than your shoes are, which they should be, by the way, um, if you're walking through like wet grass, if it's taller grass and it hits your sock, it uh, the so- rest of the sock is gonna pull that moisture down into the shoe. And then the waterproofing doesn't stand a chance. Yeah. It, it can't. <laughs> yeah. But more than meets the eye. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, and the last thing I'll say is that within outerwear, like jackets, pants, etc. Yeah, go ahead and spend the money on the Cortex. <laughs> Although, if you're talking about pants, hmm. not as important to have Gore-Tex as it is on your top half. Because it's not your core. You're not as sweaty there. You don't need it to be as breathable. It's just your legs. Yeah, it's so even word. even in from from jackets to pants, like I don't have Gore-Tex pants, but I definitely have a Gore-Tex shell. And also, you know I, what I mean, like there's a very distinct. There's there's a lot need. more time that I think you'd be wearing a jacket than mm-hmm. you would bust out the whole suit and put on the pants yeah. as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. While you're backpacking, though. You need an enormous, gigantic 80-liter backpack. 90? What are you talking about? 90? <laughs> Let's go 100. <laughs> oh We've talked about this before. Um, and again, same rules apply. If that's what you want to do, go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is almost no circumstance within like a typical backpacking scenario. Where yeah, you unless it's like you're going on a Knowles trip or, yeah. and you are going out... To do something crazy. Like an excursion yeah, that's, for months at a time. But yeah. even then, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But. Like, unless it's specifically said to you by, you know, Outward Bound or like Knowles yeah. or something that like actually requires that kind of stuff because they pack more than you need because they like to be overprepared, which is good. But like they mm-hmm. do that on purpose. Like that's an on purpose choice. Um, You don't yeah. really need. <laughs> no, there's there's rare instances where you really need anything bigger than a 65. Yeah. And even that's pushing it. That's that's <laughs> like so my pack is a 65 liter and even when we just take it on like quick like like I'll use it cuz it's just my bigger backpacking mm-hmm. pack and usually I'm carrying stuff for the dog and you know you do stuff but like I have so much extra room and I have to consciously remind myself to not overpack. And that's the thing is like people or like, well, I'll, I'll just get this pack because it fits well and I'll have the room if I need it. I promise you it's a human instinct. If you have the available room, you're going to want to try to fill mm-hmm. it. I am super guilty of that. Oh, yeah. I am such an and overpacker. You, because you get caught up if you have extra space with the, oh, I'll just bring this in case. Yeah. Like if, you're, if you keep saying like, oh, in case, in case, in case, and that's not including the 10 essentials, which... Have we gone over before? I think we've gone over that before. If we haven't, we'll we'll double check ourselves and we will probably talk about that in the future. But um, if we haven't already, which I think we have, but <laughs> I'm not including that. I'm just saying aside from like your necessities, like what you actually need, you get caught up in the, oh, just in case. Oh, just in case. Mm-hmm. And because you have the extra room, you just keep packing more stuff. It's very hard to just have a pack halfway full. And to just let the rest of the room just just be extra room. Yeah. And so, I mean, also, like, the pack's going to be heavier than if you got a lighter weight pack that's smaller. Yeah. You know? Yeah, if you force yourself to take, like, a 45, 50-liter pack on, like, a four- or five-day trip, it's going to force you to take only the stuff that you are going to need. And we need so much less stuff just in general in life than we actually think we yeah, do. Yeah, you find out really quick on a trip, like, I, I wish I didn't pack this. I haven't used it at all. Yeah, exactly. 
Like, it's just, I think, especially living in America and, like, in Western culture, not even just Western culture, I feel like that's not correct in what I wanted to say. But um, just, like, in, I think the American mentality is just to have a lot of stuff. Yeah. I can't speak to other countries or cultures because I, I'm not from another country. Um, but, like, for American culture, like, it's all about stuff. Like, you always have stuff. You're always getting more stuff constantly stuff, it's stuff, just things. a cycle of consumerism uh, yeah. that just like eats away at you for sure and well, i think i and again maybe i'm i'm wrong about this going off of your same thing maybe it's not just an american thing but i feel like americans have this prepper instinct like we just we want to be ready yeah i mean i wasn't even just talking about in a backpacking sense i just mean in general we have a uh, lot no that's of what stuff. i mean yeah oh i don't i don't feel like it's I mean, maybe that's, like, the immigrant coming out in all of our family histories. You know what I mean? Right. Like, just, like, years and years of, like, oh, keep this just in case. Or, it's like, like self-preservation. I know people from, like, the 30s and, like, stuff like that, like, would always just keep everything because you didn't know when you would, were going to need something. Yeah. But I think the the definition of what you actually need is different than what you think it is. Um, or at least, like, that's been my experience is I have so much shit <laughs> and I don't need half of it, honestly. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of people's experience. Um, and while you want to be comfortable in a backpacking scenario, going yeah. back to, take the stuff that's going to make you comfortable like at night or on the trail while you're walking. But the point of it is that you're enjoying nature. Yeah, you exactly. You're enjoying nature. You shouldn't be bringing all these... Don't like, need to bring a TV with you. No, but bring stuff that... <laughs> your entire like, stove. I think, and we've talked about this before, is just packing something that's going to make your hike that much more comfortable and better. Like, you know... Yeah. I will bring a book because I like to read in the down moments when we're all just kind of chill, like before dinner and you know, when it's like, so like there's stuff like that. But as far as like, Oh, I'll bring this just in case and this just in case and this just in case, like, yeah, like no, like you'll overpack, <laughs> <Just> no. <laughs> like you'll overpack clothes and you'll overpack food. And it's just like, I remember the last trip you and I took, we overpacked so much food. Oh yeah. We, I, we're still getting through some, we're of that still food. getting through some of that food. <laughs> And like, and it went, so exactly to my, to that point, we're not like totally clear and free of any of these things. No, no, I don't think we ever will be. No, it's but these are just things that you know. It's something you're constantly yeah, adjusting. Gi- gigantic pack is a no go, friends. Yeah, it, it just you get the extra room so you can pack your extra cast iron. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so anyway, <laughs> um, another maybe misconception is that you can just decide to stop and camp wherever you happen to be on the trail. And that's not true. Eh, wrong. <laughs> uh, for, for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. But you need permits. You need... Even um, when you don't need permits, like, when, like, even off of the AT, you can't just, like, camp anywhere off of the AT. Like, there are either established campgrounds on some places, other places you can, but, like, even if it's an illegal campground that you find... And decide to camp there. Like if like a ridge runner comes across you or a ranger, you're like kind of sh- like shit out of luck because you're either gonna get fined or you're gonna get kicked out or both. Yeah. So. Um. But there's a lot of reasons for this. It's not just like oh, you know, here you can, here you can't. Like there's a lot of like like biology that goes into that and environmental oh, stuff. Yeah. And I mean, you could be disrupting yeah. like an animal highway. Yeah. Of sorts. I didn't know what, how else to say that, but like disrupting some very natural like migration pattern. Oops, I just bumped the mic, but um, or they've just like reclaimed this spot of the forest that used like had, I don't know. And some it could sort be about invasive. vegetation. Yeah. It could be about like forest fire possibilities it could be there's a lot of factors so it goes always way, always yeah. always check it goes way beyond someone just saying no you can't camp here because we don't yeah want you to. exactly like <laughs> that may not even be public land and not all public land you can just walk out onto like yeah. you need permits yeah and also that's to lessen the trail congestion on trail congestion trails. up up safety Honestly, if you just walk into the woods and something happens to you, no one knows where you are. Yeah, no one can go and find you. Yeah, because no one, like, that's a huge part, I know, for, um, and not all permits are, like, they're usually not expensive. It's just, A, to keep the upkeep of the trail, and then also pay the ranger, and 
so someone knows where you are. Yeah, getting a permit is really not a big involved task. It's like you go, you figure out where your trip is, where you're going to be on that date on the trail. You go on the websites and you just reserve a spot. Yeah. Sometimes it's free. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not, a, it's not a big deal. Just do it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just know your area. Um, and wildfires would, would be the other thing. Huge. Yeah. Let's, uh, I, I mean, especially on the woods. Down the woods. <laughs> yeah. Um, and while you're outside, you need to put bug spray everywhere on your body, under your clothing, on your clothing, on your dog, in your eyeballs. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. Bug spray is good. Use bug spray. But know how to use it. Know what kinds to use. Because there are some that will damage your clothing, will damage your packs, like your gear, like all of this. It can damage, like DEET will break down your shit. Yeah, DEET does not like gear. No, it will break down that fabric and you're ruining yeah. hundreds of dollars worth of gear. DEET is safe for your skin, but only use it on your skin. And don't get it in any cuts because you could die. Don't breathe it in or drink it. <laughs> it's safe, I promise. Um, if you want to put something on your clothing to treat it, if it's like a bug-heavy area. Like um, we live on the Northeast, there are a lot of ticks. Yeah, you want to use permethrin. Permethrin? Permethrin. It's a synthetic version of chrysanthemum. Um, so basically it just mimics... Like, that's already a natural, like, bug-repelling plant. So it mimics that, and it just embeds into the, your fabric that you're spraying it on, and it won't wash out for a, a good while. And it just repels. It kind of makes, like, a big bubble around you, basically. Yeah, so all you do is you treat your garments. Um, do but, not put this on your skin. But yeah, don't. It will kill your cats. Yeah, and it'll... Oh, you didn't know that? No, no, no. I knew that about the cats. Um, Although you can put it on your dogs, I think. Uh, yeah, I guess dogs are just less susceptible to it. But it, no, but like it's very specifically poisonous to cats. Yeah, but you can put it on your dog. That's like a, it says it on the bottles. Yeah, <laughs> like not in their face, but you can spray. Just their... like you would put tick medicine on a dog. Yeah, and then um, the other kind is picaridin, which is a still a it's synthetic, synthetic version of black pepper. But yeah, but it's less aggressive bug spray. <laughs> um, don't, it, you still don't need to put it in your clothing. It's actually going to just waste the bug spray and not do anything. Yeah. Um, but that's still for your skin. That's what I always use when we go out. Yeah. Because um, I don't like DEET if I'm not in, like, Maybe a I'm just country. a weirdo, but I, I kind of like the smell of Picaridin. <laughs> 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 I think I'm no, just No, it doesn't <laughs> smell horrible, and it works very well. I have no complaints with it. I usually buy the Sawyer one. Yeah. And the rule of thumb is about an inch uh, underneath each cuff, like your pant legs or your um shirt and your collar it doesn't need to go any further than that it's again just wasting the bug spray it doesn't do anything if it's underneath your clothing mm -hmm. um leave that for the permethrin and don't put any of this stuff on a buff on your face um i know a coworker of mine his wife is a professor of environmental science, I want to say, at some university around here. Hmm. Um, but she did a lot of research on permethrin, and you do not want that. That shit causes cancer. Ooh. Do not put that in your body. So she was like, uh, we were talking about that with customers one time, and he was just like, hey, but like, don't put this on a buff at all, or I mean, like on a bandana, because you would breathe yeah. it in. That stuff will, like all of this stuff, like if you're talking about any kind of bug repelling thing, unless it's a natural one, like the lemon eucalyptus one that Repel does, which I've heard works really, really well, and is a lot more natural, like these are chemicals. Mm -hmm. They are dangerous. Like they can harm you. DEET can kill you. Permethrin can give you cancer. I'm sure picaridin can also do something <laughs> like that. Like they're all dangerous. And that's not to scare people, but that's just to make you aware that like you're dealing with chemicals. It's the same way you clean your house with chemicals or people, you know, spray their food with chemicals to keep bugs away. Like it is all chemicals and it will have an effect on your body. That's Use it just sparingly. Use yeah, only as exactly. much as you Like you do need. not need to co like cake yourself in bug spray. Personally, I have incredibly sweet skin. Bugs love me, Oof, so yeah. I have to use them more than most people. But. I bugs do not care for me, which is amazing. But we will go out for five seconds, <laughs> and Christian will have thirty bug bites, at, like just everywhere. It's honestly not that much of a, an exaggeration. It's no, it's not. <laughs> Like, I'm talking about a true time when we went climbing, like, like God the other day. God save my soul on the days that we forget to bring bug spray. Yeah, we leave. 
We leave. No, genuinely. Like, we stopped <laughs> climbing. We didn't even climb. We, we, we just left because we forgot bug spray. Which is a whole other avenue to be super careful on what chemicals you're putting anywhere near your gear. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, you can't use neat shit. <laughs> be careful with that stuff. I feel like I'm covered in bug bites now just having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, next on the list is people saying a sleeping bag is going to be fine. I don't need a sleeping pad. Um, no. No. That a sleeping no. bag and a sleeping pad are a married couple. They're a married don't couple. Ever want to be broken up? <laughs> they love each other. You can have a six hundred dollar top of the line amazing sleeping bag rated to negative seven thousand degrees. Oh, it will be useless <laughs> without a sleeping pad under you. And there's very specific and scientific reasons for that. So the way just insulation works in general. And I'm going to use down as an example because synthetics mimic down. Down's kind of like the model for all of this um, is down will loft up, which means it, it spreads out within the material, be it in your sleeping bag or your jacket or whatever. And it creates these air pockets that your body then heats up and then the, the actual down feathers will insulate. So it keeps those air pockets warm so that you stay warm in the jacket. So that's how insulation works very very dependent on the down being able to loft up it's the same thing with synthetic not a hundred percent as close there are a lot of like synthetic versions of down that are getting closer it's getting better um but even just sheet insulation there are still air pockets that are your body is heating up and they're just keeping warm right so that's how the insulation works if you're laying on top of the insulation then you're squishing it all down and there is no air pockets for your body to heat up. So even though there's still insulation there, you're not going to stay warm because there's nothing for the insulation to heat up. Yeah. So sleeping pads will insulate you against the ground. It's a buffer between your body and the cold, hard It's basically ground. it creates those. For inflated ones, it's going to create those air pockets yeah. for your body to heat up, and then it insulates those, and that's amazing. Even for stuff like the closed cell phone ones. Mm -hmm. like the classic sleeping the, pad. Yeah, like the Ridge Rest from Thermarest and all that. Um, again, just buffer between you and the ground. Insulation between yeah. you and the ground that's not dependent on heating air pockets. The saying goes, a sleeping bag keeps you warm. A sleeping pad stops you from getting cold. Yeah. And they need to work together. <laughs> yeah. They will not. You just will not be a happy camper. Even in the summer. This isn't yeah, oh, just, even this in isn't the summer. just yeah. like in the fall, spring, Especially winter. in the mountains. Oh, yeah. At elevation. The ground gets Lord. cold. And this is even if you're in a hammock, guys. Yeah, that's true. It gets windy under there yeah. and it is cold because you're still compressing that insulation and the air it just is horrible. So I always put a sleeping yeah. pad in my hammock. Yeah, absolutely. And not to be a bummer, but this this bit is the diff can be the difference between life and death oh yeah it's an for easy sure. way to get hypothermia and die yeah 100 <laughs> percent um <laughs> we're talking about bug spray giving you cancer <laughs> now we're talking about hypothermia yeah so well, i think that's important too the the mountains aren't just fun and games no it's very true i mean no they're fucking scary in. man it's supposed to be fun but know what you're getting yourself into sports are fun you still wear pads you still wear <laughs> helmets because concussions um so that is a common myth and misconception is that it's just happy-go-lucky and you can walk into the woods for a day hike without any gear, Christian. <laughs> yes. Um. Most, if not all, <laughs> accidental injuries, deaths, whatever, getting lost, where people are seriously injured or die, or die is because they go out on a day hike and think they don't need gear to help protect them against. I'll just be back in six hours yeah. at most. I'm not saying need you anything. need to full pack, you know, if you're doing a day hike. I'm just saying no, you, bring need, a layer, you bring a layer, bring, water, bring enough food, food and water, bring a small first aid kit. Boom. Done. Anyway, that was my <laughs> soapbox. Perfect. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then a, a, just a broad, big one misconception is just th just thinking which brand is the best. Yeah, we get that a lot. And it's not ever just like, usually it's, you know, oh, what's better, North Face or Patagonia? Or what's better, Both? like <laughs> Black Diamond or P 
Petzl, Petzl or, yeah. you know, like Arcteryx, whatever. Like all of these things are going to have highlighted items, right? They're all going to have something that they are better at than the other companies. That's why they're still around. That's why they're still good, right? I mean, there's other reasons. Like they could just be more affordable, yeah. or, you know, whatever. And they all, they all push each other to be better than the next or yeah. make mistakes that they all learn from. And like, you know, I could have one jacket that is like okay, example. Nano Air from Patagonia, um, Ventrix from the North Face, and the Adam L T yeah. from very similar Arcteryx. jackets. They're all very similar jackets. Arcteryx does it better. Yeah. Def- and definitely. Patagonia does it better than North Face. I have all three jackets. Yeah. And that is very specific to how my body works and how warm or hot that I run. Mm-hmm. But just very, like, across the board, like, the first one is the most breathable. The second, it's, like, good, better, best. Yeah. Oh, and, and going off of sleeping bags, people will say, like, what's the best sleeping bag you have? Well, I hate mommy bags. I am really claustrophobic in them so like to me nemo bags were the best because they're awesome shaped yeah um or just any semi-rectangular bag or like a quilt yeah or a quilt i hate mummy bags but they are super efficient i can wear mummy bags (laughs) yeah you know so it's like everything is very subjective so there's no best brand yeah especially in like not especially because everything is important but shoes that's a really tough one because no one has the same foot no, no one has the same foot at all. Everyone has a different foot shape. What works for my feet, Christian's feet hate. Like, his <laughs> feet hate the shoes that my feet love. Yeah, and let's just jump down to the next thing on the li- uh, the bottom thing on the list real mm-hmm. quick, because that's a nice um, segue. Zero drop, uh, the myth that zero drop is perfect and necessary for every person and every foot. Define zero drop. So, a zero drop shoe means that the stack height underneath your heel and the stack height underneath your forefoot is the same distance. So So the drop so your heel is not higher than your arm. If you were to be barefoot and stand on the ground, that is the truest of zero drop. Yes. As opposed to quote traditional shoes which are somewhere between a six and ten millimeter. Drop. Which means your heel is higher than the ball of your feet. Yeah, so like uh, an exaggerated idea would be a woman's high heel. Mm-hmm. That's like a, I don't even know what that would be. Like but a that's, fucking insane yeah, drop. That's yeah, that's an insane drop because the drop is going to be the distance, the, the, the difference between that's the heel like height and the That's like nine inches versus yeah. like six millimeters. <laughs> so the zero drop theory, why it exists, is that humans weren't designed to have shoes. They were meant to be barefoot and that's very natural having a zero drop shoe is just elevating what you already do when you're barefoot, giving you some cushioning. Um, and then it's, and it's a shoe. So it has traction. Mm-hmm. Um, so it puts you in a better posture. I will preface this by saying I am a fan of zero drop. I like lower drop shoes. It really works for me. Maybe as a product of growing up wearing vans and converse all my life, mm. which are a zero drop because there's no support in them whatsoever. Um, I love them. But they don't work for everyone. My body hates zero drop shoes. Yeah. So I Carrie much. and I have the most opposite feet. But yeah. <laughs> so, and I've learned from, I've, I've tried a couple of different zero drop shoes because they've been such a hot topic in the outdoor industry. And because they're hot right now. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're very hot because they're reaching a market that hasn't been catered to before um, for people whose feet are like Christians, like yours. And, need that or like or just thrive on that my feet fucking hate that <laughs> and this is why so i have arthritis in my lower back and in my neck very slightly just from years of horseback riding and being a rambunctious <laughs> curmudgeon i don't know um so my posture is affected differently when i'm given something with zero drop than it is when it's supported so and maybe this could be because I have extra bones on my feet or whatever, but my arches, I guess, collapse more when I'm in zero drop. They don't hold themselves up. Um, that's the only thing I can think of, honestly, that would make it get... Like, they make me hurt. Like, they hurt yeah. my feet. They hurt my back. They put me in a shitty-ass mood. Like, I... <laughs> Getting fired up about I it right now. <laughs> hate them so much because they genuinely cause me pain. Like, they cause me pain in my back. Yeah, when, um, you, when you had your 
ultra lone peaks for like the first two weeks like you were going out of your way to try to make them work oh, before yeah. you even knew what was going on yeah um i was running in them i was hiking in them like you and desperately like I wasn't, wanted them to work yeah i wasn't just like you know only wearing them because i was giving myself a transition too i wasn't just like you know jumping in but um but yeah i definitely i was really trying to like them and then i just very clearly didn't they really hurt my back they really hurt my feet and then i gave them away <laughs> um <laughs> and my friend had given me um a pair of the temps from ultra which yeah. are a much more cushioned it's still it, it's still technically a zero drop they just build in more cushion especially under not especially because it is zero drop but under the heel and it almost makes you feel like it's a it, lower they, drop. they rock more it's a lot but again literally first yeah. day same exact amount of pain that i had from wearing the olympics and i was just like this is just not for me yeah, they just don't and work for some people i think the idea that they're for everyone because, you know, people weren't meant to wear shoes and blah, 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 is a very, like... It's been thousands of years. It's been thousands We've of years. We've evolved to have We've shoes. We've evolved <laughs> to need them. And so that's kind of like the paleo diet where they're like, oh, eat all, exactly only yeah. what the cavemen ate in the Paleolithic era or whatever it was. Um which I know is an oversimplification of that diet. I'm not shaming Harsh. you if you're paleo. I eat a lot of paleo just because of my allergies. Um, but like the mindset of like that being original, but that's discrediting the thousands of years yeah. of where your genetic makeup was built on. Like I personally process different like food differently than you do because my ancestors are all from Ireland. Yours are from I don't even know where. Where like Antarctica. England and Canada and like other places I don't know <laughs> and Ireland and Ireland and so like close but even like I'm also partially Polish so like that's gonna have different stuff going on than the Irish stuff and that's just specifically from gene like being from there for like years and years and years and years yeah the the point here is that yeah everyone is different so trying to say that one thing is the answer to someone is absurd yeah and that is coming from someone who is a very strong advocate of zero and low drop shoes yeah i'm wearing them right now and, I and love like them. <laughs> when i sell these to people i'm very honest i'm like they don't As work for me be. And I think that's important because no one at my house like likes to talk about that because they're so hot right now. But they don't work for everybody. No, they don't. And also, it's starting to come back around. I've noticed that zero drop, like true zero drop, got really hot for a second. And then, With like Vibram and stuff like that? Yeah. Like the minimalist shoes Vibram, especially. as they need to be called. <laughs> yeah. Um, I lost my train of thought. But oh. anyway... Um, <laughs> Now I feel like it's going, I, I've noticed it's going slightly back the other direction where it's like, hey, here's a two or three or six millimeter drop yeah. where it's still considered a low drop. Yeah. Which is, in my my in my opinion, the sweet spot is like three, yeah. three to five millimeters. That's like really nerding out again, but like, yeah, yeah, some is good. <laughs> but then you get people like me who run and hike in Solomons and Brooks, which, which have, have like very nine to 11 millimeter drops. Yeah. And my feet just thrive on that. Yeah. And, like, I wear super feet in a lot of my shoes, which give me a very rigid arch mm -hmm. on on purpose because I know that my arch needs that kind of support. Super feet are amazing. But, like, they have them for lower drop things. Yeah. You know, it's just mine. I know I need the higher arch stuff. Yeah. And um, ultras, I'll just bash on ultras for a second. I love ultra. I, I own two pairs of their shoes, two different pairs of their shoes. Um, they're great. They need they they still have a lot of work to do. Yeah, They're, I mean I think every every single model is evolving all of the time from yeah. every brand. Um, um, for various reasons they they're it's a very new concept that was like an old well, concept. But. It's yeah exactly it's come back around <laughs> and the thing is like people got away from the Vibrams for a, a a while there and were afraid of zero drop because. Vibram didn't really tell people that they need to ease into that. And especially because there's no cushion on <laughs> No, they got sued by a lot of people because people were fucking up their bodies because it can be really dangerous to run zero drop if you've or hike zero drop if you've never 
mm-hmm. really done that and you've always done stuff with like a 10 millimeter drop and it, that's a it's lot. a lot <laughs> it's a huge difference and it doesn't sound like it's a huge difference but it is yeah and people were getting really really injured like really injured yeah and so what so people kind of backed away from that again because people were getting hurt mm-hmm. you know and vibram has you know I think they fixed that and like we're, you know, dealing with a lot of lawsuits oh, yeah. about in, that. And inside every um, ultra and topo shoebox, there's a chart that explains that you need to adjust into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, good for them, as you should. No, because they don't <laughs> want to get sued because yeah. that's exactly what happened with Vibram is like everyone was like, oh, these are the best shoes of all time. You can only wear these. And then, you know, people got hurt because they didn't warn people yeah. how to You're do it. 10 millimeters going from 10 to zero doesn't sound like anything we're talking millimeters that's a whole centimeter yeah and of elongation that you're putting on your achilles tendon yeah like you're stretching it out that's what you're doing and it's real easy to tear that (laughs) that's what i mean that's what was happening and so um but yeah that's just (laughs) something that is very hot right now and will probably continue to be very hot because it does work for a lot of people's feet yeah like tried and true does work um and bandwagoning isn't just in shoes it's on everything it's on everything (laughs) it is um but getting away from the shoes and going back to like brands and stuff um kind of uh the next myth or misconception is just the idea of of jackets garments etc um gloves having temperature ratings that doesn't Everyone, again, subjective. Your idea of what 40 degrees feels like is entirely different to me. Yeah, because people run hot. They run cold. I might have less fat than some people. They have, might, like, even if they are skinnier than me, just run a lot warmer than me. You know, like, people just run differently. Um, so, again, the temperature ratings on jackets is, like, honestly impossible to do. Even on sleeping bags, like, I like, at least on sleeping bags, they do a range like yeah. this is the sweet spot, twenty degrees. But you like Fahrenheit. But you can mm-hmm. use it in this range depending on how you run. You know what I mean? Like, it, like I know when I bought, I bought a fifteen degree bag, very long time ago. Um, but the, it's a range. Like it's like you could use it all the way down to ten if you really wanted to. But you could also use it up to thirty or forty. Yeah. You know. Um, and that's you got to ask yourself: Do you sleep hot? Do you sleep cold? Uh, and also those temperature ratings and sleeping bags are taking into consideration that you have a pad under you and that you're wearing um, base layer top, bottom, socks, and a hat. Yeah. That's the, that is the criteria that those ratings are given. Um, and that brings even, like, that goes into jackets and things, too. How much are you layering? Do you need to layer as much as other people? Like, there's no end-all, be-all jacket. Like, we, like, there's, you know... A lot of people come in. They're like, I want the warmest jacket you have. <laughs> we'll come right this I way. I want to be able it. to wear a t-shirt <laughs> under it and not wear anything else. And you're like. Layer, folks. <laughs> layering is the key to it's the name of the game. Life. It's yeah. the name of the game. <laughs> yeah. The, the idea that one jacket will do everything. What do you do when it gets too hot and you take it off, but it's not you have that a, hot. <laughs> and you have a t-shirt on. Yeah. Like. It just doesn't logically make sense to me. Um, but, and again, my warmest jacket of all time is going to be different than your warmest jacket of all time. Like, there are, like, it's not that, like, you know, polarizing, but, like, I run, I think I run cold. Yeah. I run, I'm not, like, I don't run super cold. Like, my mom like, runs really, really, really cold. Um, and just is constantly, like, I definitely run colder than you, though. You know, what happens with me is I feel so like colder than death for like 10 minutes. And then as soon as we take a step onto the trail, I'm like, I hate all of this. I need yeah. to take it all off. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, well, now I got all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I do tend to run hot when I'm not being a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so as far as temperature ratings on jackets and gloves, it's. It's all super subjective, and that's why a lot of brands have moved away from doing that. Yeah, they almost all don't, and if they do, stick your nose up to them. It's dumb. <laughs> Especially, like, with gloves. It's so annoying. It's so, it's <laughs> so difficult because, like, 
even though I don't technically have something wrong with me, I have I just know this about myself that I have poor circulation in my hands and in, in my extremities. Um, I just get really really ice cold hands and feet quickly, mm-hmm. and so I just know that I have to wear a lot of clothes or eat more food or something. I don't know, yeah. but. I know that about myself, so therefore, it could be the warmest glove to you, but it's it, I might need something a little bit warmer, you know? Yeah. Also, the Arc'teryx Atom is the best jacket ever made. Best jacket I've ever made. Uh, it's great for all temperature environments. Arc'teryx, please sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. All right, guys. Um, that's going to wrap up our myths and misconceptions for this week. Again, we apologize for... It's Not, a lot of gear-related stuff. Yeah. Maybe we'll do another one with, like, you know, just trail etiquette stuff or, yeah. like, you know, different things like that. We a lot like in the works. Yeah. But for now, thanks for uh, listening and talking to us. See ya. Bye. Bye.